Little Sisters of the Poor gets a victory from the Supreme Court. Lori Windham, Senior Counsel at Beckett, joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, audience. Thank you for being here with us today. We've got a great show, but before we get to all that, want to thank our sponsor, NBI, the National Business Institute. Attorneys have trusted NBI with their CLE needs for over 35 years. Visit nbi-sems.com today and find out why, but don't forget to use their promo code LegalTalkNBI to get $100 off your next CLE course. All right. Thank you for joining us, Lori. How are you doing today? Lawrence, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, Lori, we've got a little bit of a setup here. So I've been receiving the Beckett PR announcements via email for many years now. And uh, routinely, there's usually some kind of update about the Little Sisters of the Poor and how their cases are progressing through the various court systems. So just for the benefit of the audience, I want to tell them a little bit about Little Sisters of the Poor. And so audience, Little Sisters of the Poor, it's an international congregation of Roman Catholic women who care for impoverished elderly people during their final days. And so, you know, these are people without means who can't really take care of themselves. And the Little Sisters take care of them kind of in their their final moments there. And so this congregation was founded by St. Jean Jugan in 1839 in France, but the organization eventually expanded to the United States in 1868. And so it's been a part of the American fabric, you know, doing this inspired work since just after the Civil War. So fast forward a little over 140 years, we're kind of getting to today's topic. United States signs into law the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. And soon after that, the Little Sisters of the Poor found themselves in a legal battle over contraceptives and abortion drugs. And so, Lori, I think that's where I want to bring you in. So I know that this case and the wind-up to it was pretty complicated. It involved several different cases that sort of got consolidated, uh, involved multiple states, and of course, agency law. And so what I wanted to do, if, if you wouldn't mind, can you just give us a roadmap of how this all got started and how the Little Sisters of the Poor found themselves in this legal battle and where we are today? Absolutely. Uh, it has been a long road. This started back in 2013, when the Little Sisters were facing the choice of either having to include contraceptives and abortion-causing drugs in their health care plan or pay tens of millions of dollars in fines. And so they joined a lawsuit to ask for uh, an exemption from this rule. The Supreme Court actually protected them in an emergency order on New Year's Eve in 2013. And so they were able to continue with their litigation. Their case and a bunch of others went up to the Supreme Court in 2016. And the eight-member court, this was just after Justice Scalia had passed, the uh, eight-member court sent it back down and uh, said that it sounded like there could be changes made to the rules that would accommodate the religious groups and wanted to see that happen. So they kicked the case back down. We, of course, had an election. And in 2017, the Trump administration decided that it would create an exemption from the contraceptive mandate that would cover the Little Sisters of of the Poor and other religious objectors. Shortly after that happened, several states decided to sue because they believed that the new rules were improperly created and overbroad. And so Pennsylvania, later joined by New Jersey, sued in Pennsylvania. California and a number of other states sued in San Francisco and ended up with, I want to say it's, I'm going to make sure I get this right, it's 18 states plus the District of Columbia in the California case and then two states in the Pennsylvania case, which was actually the one that went up to the Supreme Court first. 
So we ended up at the Supreme Court on this question of was it permissible for the Trump administration to create exemptions from the contraceptive mandate to protect the little sisters of the poor and others? And had they followed the proper APA procedures in how they did that? Wow, that that's quite a bit going on there. And I definitely want to get into some of the administrative law portion of that. I think, you know, for lawyers, I think it'll be a little bit surprising, kind of the uh, weaving in and out that went on there. But uh, before we get there, and, and I remember this case when it came up, uh, this was years before I started working at the network. I remember reading about this. And so what I wanted to do, because I heard pundits on both sides of the uh, coin on this one, talking back and forth. And I just want to just further define what this case is really about, at least for the little sisters part of it. So I I have a couple of questions I want to ask you, you know, real simple answers there, Laurie. And so the first one is, are the little sisters of the poor forbidding anyone who works for them from buying their own birth control or abortion medications outside of the plan that the little sisters of the poor provide? No, they're not. They're simply asking that that be provided separate from their health care plan. Okay. And then here's the second one, because I heard a little bit of this too. Are the little sisters of the poor actually trying to get out of providing health care for their employees, you know, probably in an effort to save money? Uh, no. And in, in fact, what the injunction gives them is the ability to provide, keep the same plan that they had before. What they said is we want to keep the same plan we had before Obamacare. We were we are happy to comply with the ACA. We just can't in good conscience comply with this one small part of it. And let's get to that one small part. So the Little Sisters of the Poor are asking for a very specific exemption from the provisions of a qualified ACA Obamacare plan. And what, what is that exemption that they're looking for? What they're asking is that they not be required to provide contraceptives or abortion-causing drugs as part of their health care plan. And so if the government is going to provide it, which there have been various schemes proposed for how the government's going to provide it, that it do so separate from the Little Sisters plan and not depend on some sort of authorization from the Little Sisters in order to do it. And that's the exemption that they got in 2017 and again in 2018. That's the one they've been fighting to keep. Perfect. No, thank you for the walkthrough there. I think that kind of uh, clarifies the issue of what's being fought over here. And so what I want to do now, Laura, is I want to walk through some of the administrative uh, parts. And it sounds like from the early roadmap, I may have missed a bullet point here. So I'll need your assistance here. But I wanted to start from the very beginning. So the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, is passed. And I do remember the debates I was watching. I was a bit of a nerd back then, so I was watching C-SPAN. So I was watching the debates back and forth. And one of the big argument points was whether or not religious entities were going to have to provide contraceptive healthcare options. And that was one of the things that was going to be a a big non-starter for religious organizations in our country. There was a lot of assurances that that would not happen. And ACA passes. And so... Now it's a law, but it needs some further definitions. And so as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Lori, that's when the departments, this is where the agencies get involved. And so the Health Resources and Services Administration, they start providing some additional meanings as to what is certain types of care for women that are going to be included under a uh, Obamacare plan that qualifies. They start adding definitions to it. And in so adding the definitions, they realize that they are going to run afoul of that promise to not ask religious entities to provide certain types of medications. And so at the same time, they throw out some exemptions. And then what happens after that? So what happened with the exemptions is that the Obama administration created this. They used an interim final rule. That's the procedure that's been used all along to create various 
versions of this mandate. The first one came with an exemption that was incredibly narrow. If you served people outside of your own faith, which the Little Sisters do, you wouldn't qualify. They then came up with a second exemption, which would extend to churches, but it left out religious orders like the Little Sisters who are out there serving the public. And so they were saying, wait, why can't we be treated the same as the Catholic diocese down the road? Are we somehow less deserving of of religious freedom than they are. Then the Obama administration created what they termed an accommodation, which unfortunately would still use the Little Sisters Healthcare Plan, which is actually run by Christian Brothers. Uh, so it was another Catholic plan and the Little Sisters authorization in order to provide this. And so the Little Sisters and others said, no, we, we still need to be able to have an exemption like the Catholic Church has. And so the legal battles continued. It was not until 2017 that they were able to finally change the rules so that there was a full exemption for the Little Sisters. And so these were the uh, just I, I think these were the exemptions that were popularly referred to as the religious exemption and the moral exemption, right? That's right. So the religious exemption came about. It's had different forms over the years, but it actually started way back in 2011. And then the moral exemption was a new one that was added in 2017 in the new rules that the Trump administration created. Okay, and so now enter Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Now, they sue claiming the different departments, agencies did not have the authority to grant the exemptions, but somehow had the ability to add the definitions. Can you walk me through the the notice requirement and the open-mindedness test that the states brought up? Sure. So they, they made a couple of different arguments. One was the merits argument saying, look, you didn't have the authority under the ACA to create exemptions at all. And then they said... Regardless of that, you also had procedural problems. You can't use an interim final rule. You have to use a notice of proposed rulemaking instead. And then after, you know, we had the interim final rule in 2017, we had final rules in 2018. There's been a lot of rounds of rulemaking in this uh, case. They said, well, you uh, did not have open-mindedness between the 2017 IFRs and the 2018 rules. And so that's another reason why the rules are invalid. And so at the appeals court level, we lost on the merits argument under the ACA. We lost on the notice requirement. We lost on the open-mindedness requirement. And so this is where the uh, Third Circuit steps in and grants a nationwide temporary injunction. And so what was the impact of that, this temporary injunction? How did that affect the Little Sisters of the Poor? So the Little Sisters of the Poor were protected for that time period because they had an injunction that had been given from their original lawsuit in Colorado. And so they were not required to provide the contraceptives and abortion-causing drugs. However, there was a real risk of that injunction being harmed when this all went up to the Supreme Court, since Pennsylvania and New Jersey had argued that it was impermissible to give exactly the kind of protection the Little Sisters had. Okay, so after this, uh, my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, this is where uh, President Trump's administration steps in, this is the federal government part, and then the Little Sisters also appeal this decision and then seek review before the Supreme Court. So let's walk through that and then ultimately into the Supreme Court's final decision here. Sure. So while this is going on, just to complicate things more, the Ninth Circuit also <laughs> upheld an injunction for California and the other states, which was kind of hanging out there at the Supreme Court and just waiting to see what would happen in the Pennsylvania case. The Pennsylvania case went first. It was moving a little faster. So the Trump administration appealed to the Supreme Court. The Little Sisters appealed to the Supreme Court. The court heard arguments via teleconference in May and uh, then issued its decision ruling in favor of the Little Sisters at the end of June. 
as I understand it, and I've been I've been listening to the pundits out there and uh, trying to learn a little bit about this uh, case even before I invited John. So I was a little confused. Uh, there's there's a lot of people out there that seem to be a, still a little worried, even though it's a Supreme Court decision exactly what this means for the little sisters of the poor. And I guess my question to you is, are they able not to worry? Are they able to go about their business without the requirement of providing certain medications that go against their religious faith? Right now, they are protected by their injunction. They're not required to choose between following their faith and millions of dollars in fines. We're very thankful for that. They've also won three times at the Supreme Court now. Um, I know a lot of teams out there would really love to have that record. So the real question is what happens next? What happens going forward? We know that the Supreme Court has said 7-2 that yes, you can accommodate the Little Sisters. No, it was not a violation of the Administrative Procedures Act to create these rules and to protect religious and even moral objectors. And so the question becomes, what are the states going to do now? Are they going to continue and press these claims in some other forms? Are they going to realize that they've been beat three times? and what's going to happen with those rules going forward. And that's all uncertain right now. We're waiting to see what happens in the lower courts. Um, I think it's pretty clear when you've got a 7-2 decision saying, yes, you can protect the religious organizations. That should send a very strong signal to the lower courts that these rules are permissible. And so I would think that while you might have some fights around the margins, around the scope of the rules, it's pretty hard to imagine that going forward, the courts are not just going to uphold these rules and protect religious objectors. All right, last question. I'll put you on the spot. So, Laura, if you are a betting person, what do you think? Do you think there'll be another state actor trying to bring some other type of case against the Little Sisters here? I think that uh, I think that would be a really foolish thing to do. I think it's a good way to lose. You know, I think that there will be some fight against this exemptions to the mandate going on. But it's really hard to know if it's, it's going to involve religious objectors, if it's going to involve the whole mandate, or if, you know, like I said, it'll be something small on the margins. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lori, and thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll cite and make available our sources for this episode on our website, LegalTalkNetwork.com. Once again, thank you to our great sponsor, NBI, the National Business Institute. You can find them at NBI-SEMS.com. Don't forget the promo code LegalTalkNBI to receive $100 off your next CLE. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 